I have loved the idea of walking into someone's office one day. I kind of picture it as a doctor, like, like a doctor would have a Rubik's Cube just to show their IQ and, and how clever they are on their desk. And just kind of like sitting down and as he's asking me what I'm feeling, just kind of pick up the Rubik's Cube, just kind of do this without really paying attention, put it back on his desk, just waiting for him to notice that I've done it and uh, just kind of say, I, I thought that's, that would be really, really cool. I shared that with my kids one day, and so they went out and learned how to do the Rubik's Cube. We were away, and uh, I just saw them practicing and practicing and practicing, and I knew they could do it, but now they were trying to, they had seen on YouTube, like the world record being 3.7 seconds or something to do the Rubik's Cube, and uh, Jed is well on his way to setting a new world record uh, as I watch his fingers move faster than I can, I think my eyes can even process or my brain can even process his fingers moving. And so I thought hey, well, this is my chance. They've kind of superseded me in this thing. It was my dream. They've taken it. Uh, I'm going to sit with them and see if I can't, by osmosis, learn how to do the Rubik's Cube. Jed and Kiara, they both know how to do it. And uh, they were at great pains to teach me how to do it. Dad, you see, you, you do this. It's, it's patterns, you know. You, you do this, and then you do this. And, you, and I'm sitting there, and I'm realizing that my dream of doing it in front of a doctor is slowly fading away <laughs> as I'm looking at them and, they, and they're going, and I'm like, oh, just slow down, just slow down. I, I, I can't go that fast. I'm, I'm in my 40s now. Just, just relax a little bit. And they're going, no, no, dad, you just do this, just do this. And, and I realized that my, my dream was greater than my actual desire to follow, th follow through with it. And, uh, Again, it got me thinking, I, I was reminded of that while preparing this message, and just kind of think, how, how many of us like that? Our dream is to become like Jesus, but our desire to follow through with it can sometimes lag a little bit behind. We desire to just walk into an office one day and show off a life that represents Jesus, that our mess can become a message. We long to just kind of like let our lives be the message of Jesus, but uh, we don't always want to go through the hard work of Hey, just, just slow down. Just teach me that again. Just teach me so that I can get a grasp of that. Teach me the pattern of God. Just teach me the way. No, no, just slow down. Slow down. No, your fingers are moving too quickly. I, I, I'm in my 40s. I've developed some habits that I need to undo and redo. I'm in my 50s. I'm in my 60s. I'm in my 70s. When I was 30, I used to do church this way. I need to reform some habits. I need to let go of some things to move into some new things of what Jesus is doing, because Jesus is not 40 years ago. He's not in the 1980s anymore. He's in the 2020s, trying to reach the culture of this day. Are we prepared to learn some patterns? And sometimes our desires and our dreams don't quite match up. The desire to follow through. And so uh, Jesus invites us to be his disciple, to be his apprentice. And we started this series called The Apprentice last week. And uh, the goal of an apprentice is threefold. It's to be with Jesus. It's to become like Jesus, to therefore do what Jesus did. And so last week we looked at being with Jesus. If you weren't here, I really do encourage you to get onto our podcast and listen to it or onto our website and download the message. Today we're going to be looking at becoming like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus. I do want to say this. Today is kind of like an airplane view, 30,000 feet up. 
Are we looking down at some of the core elements of what it means to become or how do we become like Jesus? We will in the weeks coming kind of work out a little bit more of the detail of that. Is that all right? But there is still a takeaway for us. We, we love to teach in such a way that we've got a practical thing that we can do this week, as I'm sure you all did last week. So we have this entire life's pursuit in order to become like Jesus. So here we're going to start. Luke chapter 6, 39. This is the text that we're going to be basing ourselves in. It's a parable that Jesus tells, and it's uh, on the back end of it, the Sermon on the Mount. It's the, it's the back end. So it's, it's all part of that Sermon on the Mount. But uh, he gets to the back end, and it's probably the shortest parable that Jesus tells. It's two sentences packed with meaning. He says this. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. That's it. I've got an entire sermon coming out of that today. The first thing is when he says, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? Jesus would often call the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, blind. So he was having a direct go at them. And I think sometimes, or we are, as we become very religious, we choose one day to accept Jesus, but then all of what we were brought up with, our context, all of that starts to muddy the water a little bit. We forget to follow Jesus, and we begin to follow our own desires. As Paul said, actually, we know to be bondage, not freedom, when we start to make ourselves God and what we should look like and how we should do things. And actually what happens is we lead other people into a pit. What Jesus says as we are apprentices of his is the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So there are a couple of things that we see here. Just four, and these are not the four points of the message, but just so that we can kind of order this in our minds. The first thing is this, that everyone who is a student can be like the teacher. You may be sitting here and saying, it is impossible for me to become like Jesus. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you can become like me. I am the teacher, you can become like me. And so if you're sitting here saying, keep on, and you keep on having the phrase in your head, I, I, just, I will never be able to get there. I'm not Jesus. No, you're not Jesus, but you can become like him. And unless you renew your mind and retrain yourself and reprogram yourself, you are always going to fall short of the life that God has for you. Because he says that I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And Jesus was the model on earth of what fullness of life looked like. And he said, come follow me so that you may have this fullness of life. So you can become like Jesus. I can become like Jesus. And that is not some irreverent statement of like, I can be God. But you can become like the teacher. You cannot surpass him, but you can become like him. The second thing he says is this. When everyone who is fully trained, they can be like a teacher. So it takes training. It takes intentional action. It doesn't just happen. You can be like Jesus, but it takes intentional action. And then the, th the third thing is there is a fully trained. When you become fully trained, which would indicate that there are stages to training. It would indicate that I, I take a step and I learn some things. And then my journey has to continue and I learn some more things. And then my journey continues and I learn some more things. So you don't just kind of have one class, one Sunday, boom, I'm like Jesus. It's a training towards fully trained. And we understand, fourthly, that just when being trained in the art of something, because there are stages to training, it takes time. 
it takes time. And so actually our apprenticeship, our discipleship with Jesus is not, hey, I accepted you by the blood of Jesus. I'm now saved and sanctified and fully all of these magnificent biblical words. But uh, actually it's this thing of, no, 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 no. By time, by lifestyle, by a journey of walking with Jesus, I'm able to become like him. And so the invitation is, will you walk with me? Jesus saying, will you walk with me? He also says, will you walk, I would also say, would you walk with me? As Jesus gives teachers to a community or rabbis to say, as I follow Jesus, so you follow me. And so there is very much a very real sense of Jackie and I leading us in the ways of Jesus. And we're going to get to a little bit later where I'm going to give an example. But if you don't trust Jackie and me, if you don't trust the fruit of our lives, if you don't want something of what our lives look like to be something of what your lives look like, then I would suggest that this community, there are many great communities. Go and find a rabbi, go and find a teacher, go and find a pastor that you can follow wholeheartedly. Because you're going to sit here week in and week out and not trust the message or not receive the message as proclaimed from the frontier. And that's not Jesus' desire for you. Your benefit is to trust the people from the front. It means that if we want to be like Jesus, it requires change. And it doesn't mean just tweak our lives because the Bible uses a word that doesn't reference tweak our lives. It means complete fundamental shifts. And we're going to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The New Testament describes the word as transformation. So let's read the text. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And the word used there is metamorphosis and Merriam-Webster. It's a dictionary. And just the way they describe it is kind of the journey towards a butterfly, from a caterpillar to a pupa to a... Uh, uh, to a butterfly, it's like fundamental shifts. It's not just a butterfly whose markings on their wings develop over time. It's you become fundamentally something different. And this is what apprenticeship or discipleship with Jesus looks like. We once were dead in our sin. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we were able to stand righteous before Him as we are clothed in righteousness. But we've still got the habits and the consequences of our sin. And as we walk with Jesus, slowly we're able to deal with our past. We're able to create a new identity in Him. We're able to become somebody fundamentally different as we take off of our grave clothes and we put on our life clothes of righteousness with Jesus. We become something fundamentally different. That is what the Bible talks about happens when we walk with Jesus. It is not about, I accept Jesus' salvation and I will do the Sunday thing and I will give him my list on a daily basis of what I need, and I'm all good to go. We do not become changed by osmosis like I did not learn the Rubik's, Rubik's Cube by sitting in close proximity to Jed and Kiara. You can sit with Jesus. The Pharisees were very close to Jesus on a daily basis, and they did not become like him. So we've got to ask ourselves the question, is this kind of change possible? Jesus says you can become like the teacher when fully trained. We've got to go like, is this possible? And before we just kind of answer it flippantly and go, oh, yeah, of course it is, because the Bible says that deeply. Do you believe it's possible? Because the foundational flaw for you is to believe that it is possible. If you do not believe it's possible, you will not get there. 
And so do you believe it's possible? The scriptures say it is. Jesus says it is. Will you believe him? I don't want people who follow my teaching. So uh, Sunday after Sunday, we, we listen to me teach the word of God. I don't want you in 10 years time, 20 years time, 30 years time, 40 years time to have been sitting here listening to teachings but still not be transformed. And dare I say the church globally is full of people that have been sitting for decades in close proximity to the teaching of God but are not transformed. Maybe even some here today. But this is the invitation today. It's never too late to start your journey with Jesus so that you can be transformed and start walking in the fullness of life that he has to offer. So one key thought for today is talking about Jesus uses, well, that Jesus doesn't use the word, but it's, it's a word, spiritual formation. Dallas Willard says this, a quote, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So it's being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in discipleship with him. That is what spiritual formation is. The key idea is that spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, it is a human thing. We are all being formed all of the time. It's not just reserved for the Christian believers, the Christ followers. Everyone is being transformed. So we are all a disciple of somebody or something. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves very honestly is, who or what are you a disciple or an apprentice of? What are you being formed into? And so if you are not intentionally forming yourself in the likeness of Christ, there are things that are taking place in your life that are forming you. And so there is this unintentional spiritual formation taking place. And so I'm going to quickly go through four things that you are being formed by, regard, just by waking up in the morning, you are being formed by these things. And unless we intentionally counter those, we are going to turn up a particular way. Is that all right? So four things that we are being formed by. One, the stories we believe. Two, the habits we perform. Three, the relationships we're involved with. And four, the environment we live in. Just by waking up, those four things are turning you into something. Okay, and I'm going to just fly through them for the sake of time because the back end of this is far more important than the front end. But just that we have some kind of context. The stories, we form by the stories we believe. It's like it's, why are movies such a big hit? Why, why is it such a massive industry? Because we love stories. We love film. We love things being played out in front of us. We love to see these things. Why is social media just blown, blown the world apart in the last 10 years? Because we love stories. Stories form us. The news. Some people are addicted to the news. They just want to hear the stories. They want to hear the stories. And the stories we believe. If you ever sat in or, or stood in conversations and people say, oh, South Africa this and South Africa this and South Africa this, where do they get that from? Because they're believing the stories written in the news. We love news. 
We love stories, and the stories we believe are busy forming us. Let's take sexual identity as an example. Yes, I just went there. I'll keep it high level. If you believe that we are not created, but that we just are, like we just became, then the strong likelihood, if that's the story you believe, then the strong likelihood is you believe that sex is just a physical manifestation of just us biologically. And that will dictate how you are in marriage, how you respond to people relationally. But if you believe in the story of creation, that we are created, then there is a better chance of believing, well, actually, then who is the creator and what is something of his pattern or her pattern or its pattern, depending on what you believe created us. And so the stories you believe will shape what you become, will form you and shape you. Secondly, just the habits we perform, the power of habits. We become what we do. We are a cumulative effect of the things we routinely do. And the things we routinely do shape our desires, our loves, and our longings. Quick example, I didn't grow up drinking coffee. My dad doesn't drink coffee. It wasn't in our house. And, uh, and then I got into the pastoral ministry, and everybody drinks coffee. And so I started, I, I got tired of saying no. I don't want coffee. I got tired. And so I just said yes, because the people you hang out with shape who you become. And so I started to say yes, and I couldn't stand the taste of coffee and so sugar. But I know sugar is bad for me. And I started having the sugar, and then I was like, no, I can't have all of the sugar. I can't get rid of the coffee because I can't get rid of all my pasta mates. And started to wean myself of sugar and over 15 years, have really grown a love for coffee to the point of, as I told you last week, I've now really got a great machine and I, it's like an art form for me. And that is my habit. And I know that if I were to drink less coffee, I would be healthier. But I follow my doctor who drinks multiple cups of coffee a day. And so we're all being discipled who says, who says we'll be healthier? So I just, we're all being discipled by somebody. <laughs> but I know I'll probably sleep better without the coffee, but it is a habit that I perform and it shapes who I am and I love it. And so I'm going to drink it. <laughs> our habits shape our loves and our longings. Number three, the relationships we're involved with. The people we're around on a regular basis will shape our life. We will become like them. The people we are around, we will become like them. I don't think I need to explain that too much. I think we would all agree with this. And number four, it all happens in an environment. The environment we are in shapes us. There's an environment here that wants to shape you. The longer you're in Durban, the more you'll fit into its stereotype. I travel around. I have the privilege of traveling around the world. And people that know South Africa say, ah, you're from Durban. How can you tell? I can just see by the way you dress. I didn't know there was a dress code in Durban. But there is. There is. And people can identify it around the world. The way we say fish. 
It's a thing. People around the world say, oh, just say fish again, because it's a very unique way that we say it in Durban, even to the rest of South Africa. You go to Cape Town and say fish, they'll go, ah, <laughs> they'll laugh at you. It's true. You didn't know that. We need to get out there more. The environment is shaping you. The environment shapes you. And so uh, these are the things that, that if we are unintentional about our formation, we are going to become like them just by waking up in the morning. And so as an apprentice, as a disciple, the question is, well, how do we offset that? How do we become like Jesus? And so just before we deal, I've got the four counters to that, but two myths that we're quickly going to debunk. Is that all right? Two myths. Number one, all you need to know is the Bible. Not true. All you need to know is the Bible. Not true. We read the Bible. We talk about the Bible. We read about the Bible. These are, reading the Bible is not a bad thing. But just knowing the Bible is not enough. We have the Protestant movement and the Reformation. Martin Luther says, we change through the preaching of the gospel and through the sacraments. A few hundred years later, the sacraments were taken out of the church because Rene Descartes kind of said, I think, therefore I am. And so suddenly the sermon became the centerpiece of community activity. And the sacraments get pushed to the side because suddenly now it's through the thought, through the mind that we become changed. Because I think, therefore I am. And so this is something of the progressive journey of humanity, but we know that that's not true. I'm willing, if, if you were honest, you don't have to stick up your hand, but if you were honest, I guess you would all answer this. The pattern of your life or the behavior of your life does not yet match up to the amount of knowledge you have of the scriptures and what Jesus would expect your life to look like. I think you would all agree with me. Mine doesn't. I know more than what I am acting. And therefore, knowing the Bible is a myth that that is all you need to spiritually transform yourself intentionally. This means that we cannot think ourselves to Christ-likeness. The way of Jesus is a way. It's not a set of ideas. It is a way. It is a pattern. We walk with Him. We walk with Him. Not a set of ideas. Here's a statement. can come up. Information transfer alone does not produce transformation. Second myth, you don't need to do anything. It's all God. So, like, the first group of guys are the, the kind of academic guys. The second group of guys are the artists, the creatives. Just, ah, it's, you don't have to do anything. It's all God. It's all God. It's another myth. We have to partner with God. The, the cliche, let go and let God, it's such a bad cliche. It's like, yeah, yeah, God, I, I need patience because I'm dealing with my child right now. The Matrix is an old movie. It's just like download of Matrix, download of patience, boom, yeah, got it. And suddenly I can act patient. It's just not how God works. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I need peace. Oh, Jesus, just give me peace download of peace, I'm, I'm all good. It's like, no, we don't just let go and let God. There is a partnership that takes place. God takes responsibility for what He does, and we take responsibility for what we do, and we partner as we walk in step with the Spirit of God, and we're able to live this transformed life.
Transformation is a joint effort. Let me give you this quote, just that we can be clear. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Did that come up? Yeah, Dallas Willard. So we have to partner with God. So now we go back to the original. Is this possible? And there's unintentional formation taking place all of the time through these four things. How do we counter that? Here's the important part of the message today. Okay, and so we're going to learn some things here and maybe put some things into practice as we go forward. So number one, we counter it by teaching. We counter it by practice. We counter it by community. We counter it by Holy Spirit. And let's just quickly go through these things. So the first thing is this. We believe, we are formed by the stories we believe. And therefore, how do we counter that? Well, by actively teaching into that. That's why Sundays are so pivotal to our spiritual formation. If you come once every four weeks, you are not doing yourself any favors in becoming like Jesus. Because if you come and hear one message a month, you are hearing 15 stories a day that are forming you. Whether you like it or not, or believe it or not, all the psychologists will say they are forming you. And therefore, we have to counter it with teaching of the Scriptures so that we can meditate on that day and night, put some practices and habits into place, new habits, so that we can be transformed and believe new stories. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I'm not saying Rene Descartes was completely wrong. In, in the understanding of that day, he came on to a new thought. It just wasn't fully developed and has led Western civilization astray a little bit. But they we're starting to see differently now, all the clever people. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Secondly, the habits that we perform. Also, how do we counter the habits? How do we counter that? Well, we practice new ways. We don't tell, we don't tell ourselves, try harder. My daughter, Jada, plays the piano, or now the synth, or something like that. But when she was learning the piano, uh, I, I, I get lost in some of the nuances of all of these things. It's like, I can't just say to her, Jada, play Requiem by Mozart in D minor. Play it now. Dad, I can't. No, no, now. Try harder. Try harder. Requiem by Mozart in D minor. Play it. I can't. And that's often what we do as Christians. It's like, try harder to be loving. Try harder to be kind. Try harder to forgive. Try harder to be patient. Try harder to be peaceful. Try harder. No, we can't. We have to practice. We have to practice. And so the deal is, okay, Jada, well, here it is. Start practicing. One year, two years. Within 10 years of practicing, she would now have the capability of playing Requiem by Mozart in D minor. But it took practice to get there. And so, so often what we do as Christians is this. It's not that Jada didn't have the capacity to do it or the ability to do it. It was that she didn't have the ability yet. Practice adds a very crucial word to our lives, yet. 
Richard, I cannot be more peaceful. I am an anxious person. I'm a fearful person. I'm an angry person. I'm a miserly person. That means you hold on to your money too tight. I am all of these things. I'm that. I cannot do it. No, you just can't do it yet. Let's practice. You've got some habits which make you anxious. You've got some habits which make you hold on to your money. You've got some habits which cause you to be uh, uh, fearful. You've got habits. Let's practice a new way. And one year from now, and two years from now, and three years from now, and ten years from now, suddenly you look back and you have developed the capacity to do it. Don't believe the lie that you are unable to change. You can, just not yet. Practice. Practice. Number three. In the place of relationships, so the relationships we have form us, we have community. This was the genius of Jesus. None of us get to live our faith alone. He puts us into community. And we say, Rich, well, what's the difference between relationships and community? Well, relationships we get to choose. Community we don't. Some of you are sitting in this building and you wouldn't necessarily choose to sit next to the person you may be sitting next to. You might not have ordinarily come into contact with each other. But this is what Christian community do. One, we gather around Jesus Christ, and so we all have a common goal. But it does two things, exposure and encouragement. We come into a Christian community, and suddenly we think we're doing quite well, and then we see someone else, and we go, ooh, maybe I'm not as good as I thought I was. You know, like that day you got married. I am God's gift to you. And then we married for a little while, and then we're like, shucks, I am a selfish person. I am learning control of my tongue. And we suddenly start realizing, no, 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 it's like, who have I become now that I'm married? It's like, no, you haven't become anyone different. It's still you. You just didn't realize it. What community has done is it's exposed your inside. It's like a sponge being squeezed. It exposes what's in the inside. And so the beauty of community is it exposes these things, and we kind of walk around feeling like, oh, I'm a little less than what I was. But the beauty is it comes with encouragement. It's like, I see who you are. And I'm also like that, and I'm going to walk. Let's walk together, and let's do this. Because actually I can find other people that are like me. Other people that are a little bit selfish. Other people that are a little bit stingy. Other people that are anxious. Other people because we're exposed and now suddenly we can get into some groups and community and we can start to walk and go, I'm not alone. We can do this together. And I can text you in the morning and say, hey, how are you doing today? How was yesterday? Were you anxious? We're not there yet, but let's keep walking. And so community gives us encouragement and exposure. Number four, Holy Spirit. In place of the environment, we have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit must become our dominant exposure. The Holy Spirit must be our dominant environment. As we looked at last week, walking with the Spirit. And it takes time. We cannot microwave character. Christ-likeness takes time. It takes a decade, two, three. We need to walk in that. I'm going to finish off with this. As we circle all the way back to the original question, is transformation possible? What if a family member has abused you when you were a child? What if you are a type A personality and you can just be difficult to be around? What if your marriage did not work and you find yourself divorced? 
Is transformation possible? The answer is absolutely yes. But it's not inevitable. It is absolutely possible, but it is not inevitable. A lot of people come to church on a Sunday and think that that will transform them. We do need to be together, and we do need to be taught the Scriptures, and we do need all of those things, but it is not enough. If you want to experience change and transformation, it takes a lifestyle, a lifetime and a lifestyle of apprenticeship. Last week, we looked at doing 10 minutes of silence and solitude to abide in Jesus. So two closing thoughts, very quickly, and we're done. This week, your homework. Ask yourself this question, who are you becoming? Look 10 years from now. Look at some of the habits in your life and the trajectory of your life and peg who you're becoming in 10 years. In 2017, I did that. And I didn't like the outcome. And so I had to change one of my mentors. I had to change one of the people that I looked to to be discipled by. And I had to find, I had to look through the, the face of the earth. We've all got different jobs, and so our apprentices are not necessarily in close, our, our apprentices, our teachers are not necessarily in close proximity. And I found a man that's 10 years older than me, and I said, I don't want to look like that, I want to look like that. I found him in Australia, and I'm pursuing him. Because in 2017, I did not want to turn out like what I was heading in the direction of. Who are you becoming? What does 10 years from now look like? And does it represent Jesus better? Number two, you can change. I want to encourage you that you can change. If you're stuck in an addiction, if you're stuck in a, relation, a relational dysfunction, if you're stuck in your relationship to God, I want you to believe this, that you can change. Can we stand together?